Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money. All in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or your computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating a podcast today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify and when you want to take conversations with your fans to the next level, Q&A and polls are the best way to get them talking. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I love engaging with my audience with the Q&A and the polls. And I also love the fact that I can upload my video podcast on Spotify because I know my audience love watching it sometimes when they're traveling on their commute. I highly recommend you give it a try and you can download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com forward slash podcasters to get started. I didn't get any interviews and if and I did get some interviews eventually, again, they rejected me for the same reasons they rejected me into dental school and it was shattering for me, Shivani. Honestly, like I'd go home and cry. It was soul destroying. So I remember education really being at the forefront of my parents' minds from a young age. In the modern Western world, where we have all these opportunities, we can blame external circumstances as much as possible, but really, we have the ability to change the narrative of our own story, and that's what I truly believe. People don't smile because they have crooked, broken teeth, they've had domestic violence, you know, there's so many reasons. You have the ability to change their life, and I found that these stories that I was hearing of patients that had these smile makeovers suddenly went for job interviews, got into relationships, and I thought, this is what I want do this is where my purpose is to help people it is harder now because we're always surrounded by the highlight reels of everyone's story and people are so reluctant to show the behind the scenes they are recognizing that you have to be able to get up again if you want to get somewhere affiliating yourself with stories that resonate with you and you're like okay cool this person They got knocked down a hundred times before they got back up again, but it's okay, they still got back up. That's what I have in common with them. And it was really difficult to buy the practice because I've been trying to buy it for two years and I completed on buying the practice a week before national lockdown. Great. I can't go into work. I've got this massive loan to pay now. I have no income coming in. What am I going to do? Hey everyone and welcome back to another episode of A Millennial Mind. If you haven't already, please, please, please can you do me a massive favour and press the subscribe or follow button wherever you're listening or watching to this. Only 4% of you that watch and listen to this podcast are actually following it and the bigger the show gets, the bigger the guests get and the bigger the experience gets too. Thank you so much for all of your support so far. Let's get into the episode. Rona. Hello. Welcome to Millennial Mind. So excited to be here. I, do you know I, what? I actually manifested this. Do you know that? Because <laughs> I have it. I have been uh, listening to your show now for a couple of years and I've watched your own growth. And I said to myself, set a goal, Rona, to be on her podcast one day. So when you asked me, I was so excited. <laughs> I had to just tell you that. Yeah, why are you required? Well, I actually have something to tell you because I have told you this, but I want to tell everyone who's listening and watching that there is something in you that I see that I don't see in anyone else. And that is pure pure kindness and always your ability to help me from the moment I met you and you're not going to remember this but I met you at a dirty event yes went to this do this yoga thing and you were so incredibly friendly out of a lot everyone there was quite friendly but you sat like I think two rows next to me and you were really engaging me in conversation and I think as a girl generally I talked about this before as well a lot of us feel discluded so I went to that event alone I didn't really know anyone and you were like I was here there was someone here and you were there and you were engaging me in that conversation and you probably didn't even know you were doing that and then I remember telling you oh I'm trying to find a flat in London do you remember I do remember this and you said from knowing me for 15 seconds I have a flat in London if you're if we're interested let me know and I can see what I can do now that was the first time I met you I've met you a few times at the gym bumped into you and out of all those times you've always said to me who can I help you to get on this podcast so the fact that you've just said you've manifested to come on here and you've never asked me but you've always tried to help me I think it's so powerful. And I think that's so rare to be that selfless and that kind. So thank you. Do you know what? That means so much to me. But I think that really it's by having an abundance mindset. Mm. And that's something that I definitely see in you. I know that you've helped a lot of people along the way. And I think that a lot of people have this 
this view that really should be so competitive and that you should keep your secrets. But if you think about some of the most successful entrepreneurs in the world, they share all their secrets. You know, if you're thinking about people like Richard Branson, Stephen Bartlett, you know, I could Mm -hmm. go on. We read their books, we listen to their podcasts, they're sharing all their secrets. And I think if you're the sort of person that thinks, oh, I've got this idea and someone's going to steal it or I've got these connections, yeah. you're actually going to get nowhere in life. And I think that there is something about the whole like pay it forward thing. Do you remember that? Yeah, one, pay it yeah, forward, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, if you do something kind for someone and then they pay it forward to someone else. So I think that when I met you, I really thought it wasn't about what you could give to me. It was more about what could I give to you? And then the universe will pay me back in some way. And it sounds crazy, but no, that's I why. love it. No, I love it. And I, and I think that is so rare to find someone that is so like not competitive and wants to push you forward and wants to help you. And I think you're right in a way, because a lot of people talk around how, you know, loads of women don't want to help, but I actually see loads of women that do want to help. And I yeah. think it, the energy you put out is the energy you'll get, give back. So the more you help other people, it will come back to you. And I, and I really, truly believe that. So yeah, that's, uh, that's a really interesting point, you know, and I think that's something that I'm working on because I have mm-hmm. encountered in my life a lot of negative female energy from women that mm-hmm. perhaps don't seem as strong as they perceive me to be. Right. So what I mean by that is, is for example, I don't see you as a threat because yeah. I see you as like an incredibly successful podcaster (laughs) entrepreneur and I want to learn from you so every time I see a powerful woman I think how can I learn from her I want to do what she's doing but what I found is is that you know the criticism that I've got in my life whether Mm -hmm. it's offline or online have been from women that make assumptions about my success or make assumptions about the things that I'm doing. And so I do think that's interesting. And I mean, I blame media in some way because Mm -hmm. the narrative has always been for us to compete with each other, whether that's on the way that we look or what we're doing. And it's always been that sort of narrative of fight for the male attention, you know? 100%. So I don't know if that's something that's been instilled in us over the years. And I Mm -hmm. think that that's important, but it's definitely, as I've got older and more wise in this whole game (laughs) I have definitely found that I'm more drawn to those more powerful successful women so you know you come from um, an immigrant family just like I do my parents moved here um, when they were very young so how was that for you growing up so I think my father has always been such a key person in my life. You know, I'm mm-hmm. such a daddy's girl. You're smiling you? at me as so I'm like, wonder what your relationship's <laughs> like. But my father literally came from Egypt with 10 pounds in his pocket. He was one of the minority of Coptic Christians in Egypt and had suffered a lot with racism and Mm. a lot of kind of problems that the Coptic Christians were going through in Egypt at the time. So he said, right, I'm going to go to the UK. He literally left with £10 in his pocket. I lie, it's £30 because whenever I tell the story, I'm like, it's 10. He's like, it was 30. And and he, you know, he came in, he started working at a restaurant called Spaghetti House, which was a thing back in the day. And he- I remember that. Do you remember? I remember that. It was a Leicester Square, right? Yeah. So my father, he- put himself through medical school by working at Spaghetti House. And it was a really difficult time because also the UK wasn't what it was today. It was Mm. just a complete different environment. He suffered a lot on the NHS as well for different reasons. But my father had always instilled in me the importance of hard work. And Mm -hmm. I think it's the same for you as well because things weren't just handed to you. And growing up in a country where you don't have opportunities, where freedom isn't something that you just you know, that it's just given to you. It's something that you have to work for. I never took for granted what my father did and the opportunities that my parents gave me. My father ended up leaving the UK in his late 30s because he said there was too many distractions and he just couldn't (laughs) settle down. So he actually met my mum abroad in a hospital. She works in medical care as well. And they got married. And then he came back to the UK because he loved the way that the UK was, the way that it was built, democracy and so forth, how women are treated. And we moved here when I was five years old. And I remember that from a very young age, again, seeing my parents work so hard to Mm -hmm. keep us into a good school was so important to me. My dad actually came back into a situation where he couldn't get a job easily again as a doctor, even though he had it before. And my mum had graduated from the States. so Her degree was actually not viable in the UK. So my mum ended up working in retail. And the reason was because all the state schools near our home were really rough, if I'm completely honest. And my mum was like, no, I don't want to send the girls here. I really need to send them to a school where I know they can get good education. So I remember education really being at the forefront of my parents' minds from Mm -hmm. a young age so in my head I thought Rona you've just got to work hard you've got to do it and watching my parents work nine to five my dad being a doctor sometimes nine till midnight 
I knew that I had to work hard at school. So I think it just instills this drive in you. But also seeing the struggle where you mm-hmm. have to work really hard to go to a nice restaurant or you have to work really hard to have a holiday once a year because that's what I grew up with. Yeah, I recognize that you have to understand the value of things. And so people always say, where's your drive come from? And I think really for me, it's just watching that hard work and understanding the value of things in life. I agree. I think education was definitely at the forefront of everything from from my parents too, because my mum didn't go to university and, you know, my dad did, but he always used to say like, you know, I didn't work hard, so you guys have to. Yeah. And I didn't actually learn from that. So I had a completely opposite experience from you. So, you know, I, I always struggled in school, but that was because... I didn't enjoy learning. We were always in school, you're always tested. And it always feels like you have to learn to pass a test rather than you have to learn to really learn and to really enjoy what you're doing. And growing up, I really struggled with that. And only now I love learning and I want to work hard because I want to learn rather than in school, I was forced to learn. So that's interesting because I'm going to tell you that actually when I went to school, I wasn't academic. And because my parents could not spend the time nurturing all of this stuff that we were learning at school, I was winging it. And actually when I was in primary school, I barely passed my 11 plus. And my teacher said, you know, Rona's probably not going to get far. I applied to secondary school and the only secondary school that took me on was a school called Queen's College. Interesting fact, Jamila Jamil went there too. So it nurtured a real bunch of creative kids, okay? And they were people that were good at drama, singing and so forth. Drama was actually my passion. So the one thing that came naturally to me was public speaking and acting, okay? (laughs) So, but I was really bad at everything else. The first three years of secondary school, I was failing things like Latin, maths I was okay at, the sciences, but I knew from a really young age that I wanted to be a dentist since I was 12 years old. What? Yeah. So, Why? Well, obviously growing up in a Middle Eastern background, <laughs> your parents are like... Doctor, dentist, en- lawyer. Or, or enjoy, engineer. You can do the engineer thing. I study law. You study <laughs> dentistry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so I grew up in a medical environment. My aunt was a dentist in America and I was so amazed by the things that dentistry could do which I'm sure we'll go on to later but you Mm -hmm. know it was a really life-changing profession where you had such an impact on people's lives yeah so what I decided was I want to be a dentist how do you want to get there and in answer to what you said dentistry and medicine are careers and law possibly where you need the qualifications and you need to pass to get grades in the subjects that allow you to be safe, essentially, you know, so I'm not against that. So I think that if you are certain that you want to be a professional, there Mm -hmm. has to be a standard that needs to be met. Let's be honest. So for me, I knew I had to be good at sciences, which didn't Mm -hmm. come naturally to me. And I just worked really hard. So all the teachers that said I would fail, and you know, I've once found my school (laughs) report recently that was like, Rona's not academic, Rona's not going to do well, she's good at drama. (gasps) You know, I proved them wrong. And I do agree with you. I do think schooling systems are flawed in some sense I don't Mm -hmm. think that they cater enough for creativity and so forth but at the same time there was a degree of discipline inside me because I just knew I wanted to be a dentist so I just had to get there and get those grades I completely agree with you on that front you know I was talking about this recently and one of my friends you know I definitely wouldn't send my kids to school because of all that anxiety and that pressure and I said well I remember getting my law degree Mm. and I remember thinking I'm never going to get it I remember crying every day in the library being like I hate this I hate this I studied at Warwick as well so it was so hard and everyone was so intelligent but I will always remember the night before my exam where someone asked me uh, what, what are you what questions are you preparing for tomorrow and I said a subject that the teacher had said that is not going to be on the test yeah right so what I did was I stayed in that library all night and I worked yeah and I will never forget that because I did I did get the grades and I did pass and I was yeah. fine yeah. and it taught me that level of discipline and yes I went I was anxious and yes I was worried but that's life and you know I read a quote actually yesterday and it said discipline will take you places that dedication can't and discipline is self-love yeah it everyone is. always forgets this yeah discipline and there's this incredible speech by yeah. Will Smith I know everyone hates him but whatever Discipline is self-love, yeah, right? Yeah. Like you telling yourself you're going to make sure that you wake up early and you're going to work really hard that day and you're yeah. going to make sure you hit all your client quotas. That is self-love. Yeah, That is something you want to do. Hitting your goals is self-love. Not eating the chocolate bar and going to the gym because that is one of the goals that you wanted to achieve is a form of self-love. Yeah. And that's the only thing that's going to get you through. Motivation is bullshit. You can listen to this podcast for 10 minutes and feel motivated. It's not going to make you feel motivated at every single point of the day. And I think that is what is glamorized now in society. You know, you need to be motivated. No, you need to be clear 
on your goals and you need to be disciplined enough to achieve them. And the thing is as well, back to the discomfort thing that you were saying is that our society has really bred this this idea that you can't be uncomfortable, that being uncomfortable isn't normal and that we should avoid discomfort at all mm-hmm. costs. And actually avoiding discomfort has never been easier in our day and age. We all know that our ancestors, you know, literally had like a lion come in front of them and they had to fight for their food yeah. and all that discomfort was survival. And I think that we are so bad as a society as embracing discomfort. And one thing that I've really learned in the last year was just accept discomfort and come at it with open arms and just accept that it's a part of life and it's a part of growth. And it's okay to be uncomfortable sometimes and you don't need to be happy all the time and you don't need to find ways to numb it. Because as a society now, we're self-soothing all the time. Yes, We're always self-soothing. So self-soothing could be uploading something that makes us feel good in the moment. It could be eating something bad. It could be taking Xanax. There's so many things that we do to self-soothe because we want to avoid pain. And I think we need to really understand as a society, pain is a part of life, as you said. It is, and we need to confront it. And yeah. I think you can only you can only deal with something, you can only resolve something if you confront it. And I speak about that all the time. Yeah. So I want to go back to dentistry. So you knew you wanted to be a dentist from 12 years old, which is crazy. Yeah. I didn't know I wanted to be a lawyer, but I was so argumentative. And as you can see, outspoken and always used to speak. You would have been so a damn good lawyer, I'm every- saying. <laughs> My dad was like, you must be a lawyer. And I was like, okay, yeah, if I get to argue in court all day, then I should be. I hated it. But anyway, so you wanted to be a dentist. You've obviously, you know, worked incredibly hard. Where did you study? Leeds. Leeds, okay. And then tell me when you finished dentistry, because for people who don't know who you are, you're incredibly successful. Your client your client list is mad. If I could have all of them on my podcast, I would tomorrow. <laughs> I, I would braid you. <laughs> but no, you, you, you've done incredibly well, but that isn't the story for a lot of dentists. So, so talk to me about your journey. Right, I think we should rewind a little bit back from Leeds because I actually wanted to go to Bristol University. This is a massive part of my journey. So I got the grades mm-hmm. at school and I was like, right, Bristol's my first choice. I'm going to go. Now, unfortunately, you couldn't dampen down my creativity so I pretty much went like this to my Bristol interview and they hated it so at the time I had you know big curly hair um you know wore sort of uh, big earrings I was wearing a suit of course but you know my personality shone through because I'm never going to be the cookie cutter type dentist mm-hmm. and at the interview they asked me really strange questions like where I went on holiday and what my parents did and I just had this gut feeling that they were not really interested in why I wanted to be a dentist, why I'd chosen this path. And I got rejected. And it was one of the most mortifying things. You know, when you're so young, mm-hmm. those things are so soul destroying. You literally feel like it's the end of the world. Yeah. And I'd got an interview for Leeds. So with dentistry, you can only apply to four schools. And right. I got an interview for Bristol and for Leeds. And when I went for my interview in Leeds, I really didn't want to go to Leeds. And I don't know what it was. I think it was something about being at like a red brick uni that I was like, no, I want to be because Oxbridge didn't do it. So I was like, I want to be in Bristol. <laughs> you know? And basically Leeds, I pretended to be someone that I wasn't. So I wore no makeup. I just tied my hair back. I didn't wear any jewelry. And I just sat and talked about subjects that I knew would appeal mm. to them. And I got the place and I got the offer. And I went because I wanted to be a dentist, but I wasn't feeling great about it. When I got to dental school, I immediately knew that I didn't fit in. So a lot of the dentists were completely different to me. And I really was so interested in creative subjects as well. Mm -hmm. So I ended up living with people that didn't do dentistry, whereas all the dentists lived together. So I ended up living with people that did English literature, history of art, law, philosophy, and so forth. You know, some of the subjects that I did were for A-level. And I think that really helped cultivate who I am as a human being now because I was able to really understand human beings because those subjects are so much about understanding humans whereas I feel like dentistry and medicine focuses so much on the science you know how people often say there's an amazing dentist but he has or doctor terrible bedside manner but don't worry about it because it's almost like that human empathy and almost that way that you should be with human beings is lost along the way Mm -hmm. Anyway, Leeds was fun. It was a little bit of a whirlwind. And when I finished Leeds, you had to apply for your NHS training year. So I applied and guess what? I didn't get any interviews. And and I did get some interviews eventually. Again, they rejected me for the same reasons they rejected me into dental school. And it was shattering for me, Shivani. Honestly, like I'd go home and cry. It was soul destroying because I'd do interview after interview after interview and no one would give me an opportunity for a job. So eventually I had to go through clearing and I ended up in this practice in Kent. It was very much the drill, fill, pay the bill kind of dentistry. Mm -hmm. But the really hilarious part about it was it was in the middle of nowhere in 
the countryside. I was literally having like lunch with the sheeps. Can you imagine me? <laughs> and also on top of that, you know, I felt a little bit out of place because there was absolutely no international community there. And it was a really tough practice because I wasn't doing the dentistry that inspired me in the first place. But what I did was I looked up again to people that I was like, they have got to where they are for a reason. Why? In the same way that you said that you looked up to strong, powerful women, I started looking up to people like Tony Robbins. And I think one of the first self-help books that I read was <laughs> The Success Principles by Jack Canfield. I don't uh-huh, know if you uh-huh. know it. I haven't read it. And uh, he also did some other book that was really famous, you know, when I was a teenager. But anyway, I was like, okay, The Success Principles, all these basic books, you know, the Tony Robbins one. I was like, how did they get to where they are? And I really understood that you have the ability to control your own future. You have the ability to decide what your fate and destiny is. Of course, people have factors they can't control, external Mm -hmm. factors. And I appreciate that so much. But I think in the modern Western world where we have all these opportunities, we can blame external circumstances as much as possible. But really we have the ability to change the narrative of our own story. And that's what I truly believe. Anyway, so I started going on lots of different courses, again, looking up to dentists that had built these incredible practices. And for me, cosmetic dentistry really stood out because I was like, oh my God, you have the ability to change somebody's life. You know, people don't smile because they have crooked, broken teeth. They've had domestic violence. You know, there's so many reasons. Mm-hmm. You have the ability to change their life. And I found that these stories that I was hearing of patients that had these smile makeovers suddenly went for job interviews, got into relationships. And I thought, this is what I want to do. This is where my purpose is to help people. So anyway, I started CV dropping all over London from Kent and I got a job in High Street Kensington in an NHS practice after two years of CV dropping, by the way. And uh, they said, you can come and cover someone's maternity leave. And the reason why they gave me the opportunity is because I'd written them three letters explaining how passionate I was, why I loved my job and a portfolio of some of the work that I've done based on the courses that I'd been doing even though I had no opportunity to really practice it in Kent but every time I had a patient I'd be like hey Hey. treatment can I document it so it was really great but my boss at the time what he said was is that he was trying to get rid of his practice in Chelsea and the reason why he was trying to get rid of it is Mm -hmm. because it was making no money right the practice had changed hands five times before him every single owner had tried to make it work but it never made any money so I said to him let me come and work there and he thought are you crazy? You know, nobody goes and works at a practice with zero patients, no goodwill. And my boss was very, how do I put it? He was very strict on sort of ordering materials and so forth. So I had to actually invest a lot in my own equipment to be able to do the dentistry that I wanted to do. So this was the boss at High Street, Kensington? Yeah, and he owned the practice in Chelsea. So I started working in Chelsea and his daughter was practice manager and we got on really well. And I said, oh my God, like, let's have all these ideas. And some days were awful. I'd honestly get one patient a week and just sort of be earning like 100 pounds, you know, which for dentistry is a big, big change. And I just still was so determined to make it work. So I felt that I was trying to be as forward thinking as possible. And I knew that Invisalign was the big thing. So this was like six years ago. And I was like, this is going to be massive. Loads of dentists were reluctant to provide Invisalign because Invisalign charged dentists a lot of money to Mm -hmm. actually make the product. And I said, you're completely missing the point. Invisalign is such a patient friendly product. And everything that Invisalign do and all the marketing they do is tailored around the patient. So patients are going to come in and they're going to say, I want Invisalign. And we have to be able to provide that service. So I contacted Invisalign and I said to them by the way I don't like your posters and they said why I said because you have random models on there there should be dentists on there and they were they laughed at me but anyways three years later I was literally on these massive billboards stop it so I had again said I have this vision of dentistry like having such an impact that people see these faces and recognize them the other thing that I said was Instagram. Instagram is such an amazing platform. Again, six years ago, you still had a lot of people that built a huge following, but no dentists really. And the reason was because, again, dentists were like, well, who's going to care about a filling that we've done? Exactly. Who's going to care about this? But I said, you're missing the point because at the time I was following fashion influencers, fitness influencers, I don't know, cooking influencers. And what I realized about all the influencers that I was following is that they were providing information in a way that's aesthetic and easy to digest. And that is all it is. And you can do that pretty much with every single subject. Mm. And 
Dentistry can be the same because it doesn't need to be about looking how to do a cavity. It's the small makeovers. It's the understanding of health. It's the diet advice. It's the oral hygiene advice. It's the education about how the mouth is related to all parts of the body. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I'd launched Instagram pretty much, done a lot of Invisalign and created a business that was seeing one patient a month to then being fully booked for three months, then six months. Yeah. And then I went on to buy the practice five years later. And that's the Chelsea story. I'm gobsmacked. I'm, I'm actually shocked. I didn't even know that whole yeah, story. Yeah, so it's crazy. So th- there's so many different things you spoke around in there. But one of the things that I'm really seeing is persistence and resilience. Because yeah. I know from doing something for a long period of time, sometimes you're pushing, you're pushing, you're pushing. And so many people message me and say, I can't get through the next day because I've been rejected so many times. You know, you went into a practice where you were seeing one patient a week. Obviously, to build that portfolio up took a lot of grit and a lot of resilience. So talk to me through those bad days and how you got through them. I think, again, I hate to say self-help books, but I really feel that reading them and understanding that people have to go back down before they get up again Mm. is such an important part of the growth. And I think that it is harder now because we're always surrounded by the highlight reels of everyone's story. And people are so reluctant to show the behind the scenes. But I always remind myself, and back then I did as well, you know, I even read Simon Cowell's story and I was like, okay, great, he became bankrupt at 30, had to move in with his parents, live on baked beans, okay? And that's what happens. Mm. I think that, you know, getting through, I still have those bad days, by the way, Siobhan. Mm -hmm. I still do. I'm very open about my mental health. But I think recognizing that you have to be able to get up again if you want to get somewhere Mm -hmm. and affiliating yourself with stories that resonate with you. And you're like, okay, cool, this person... They got knocked down a hundred times before they got back up again, but it's okay. They still got back up. That's what I have in common with them. So I think that's the really important part of it. And surrounding myself with people that are positive. I know it sounds crazy and I'm not like, okay, we should all be talking about rainbows and sunshine and everything's amazing all the time. But people that I find inspiring is what I mean. So I think that's what we definitely connected on because I found you inspiring. And I know there's times that I've messaged you and said, Shivani, you're killing it. And you're like, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm really not. I've got so much more to do. And I'm like, yeah, yeah but I can see objectively your mm-hmm. growth. You find it difficult. Mm-hmm. But you know, sometimes when you have that objective person like me reminding you of that, mm-hmm. I think that's good for you, you know? 100%. I think I agree. that's good for you rather than something like, oh, babe, tell me, why is that? Yeah. Why are you bumming out? Oh, babe, that yeah, sounds yeah. crap. Oh, yeah, babe, you're right. Yeah. You, know, you have those people in life that of like course. misery likes company. So they'll, they'll yeah. affirm your negative thoughts, you know? 100%. And I think I've actually cut a lot of people out like yeah. that now because you're right. People, people are messaging me saying that. And sometimes I'm like, God, you don't know the half of it. Yeah. Like, yeah, okay, maybe I've grown on social media and a lot of people think that defines killing it, but everyone has their own definition of killing it, whether that's money, whether that's fame, whether that's followers, whatever it is, right? But I always do believe that, you know, every single person has gone through a period in their life where they didn't think they were going to get through. Yeah. And every single person has gone through a period in their life where they just focused on the next day. Yeah. Instead of looking at the whole vision in the future, yeah. because the the number one thing that I think is so important to have is a vision yeah. and a why yeah. and a purpose as to why you're doing it. Yours is very clear throughout that. Yeah. You, you mentioned it several times. Yeah. That was my vision is to make sure that I was helping people look better, feel better, act better. Yeah. And you said that throughout without specifically saying I had this vision or I had this yeah. longer term goal. And I think the mistake people have is focusing on the outcome based goal, which is fame, followers, money. If that is your vision, you are never, ever, ever going to push through. You've taken the words out of my mouth. And I always say that I do worry about Gen Z in some way. And I'm not mm-hmm. saying that as like an old millennial, even though I feel <laughs> old. But I do say that I worry about that because a lot of young dentists, the Gen Z, their goal in life is to be Instagram famous. And like, exactly. my love. And then, you know, some of them succeed. They get a huge following on TikTok because they're so savvy. And then the patients walk through the door and they can't do treat it. the patients. They literally don't even have a before and after. Mm-hmm. They cannot provide the care for their patient. I was like, that's mm-hmm. not your goal. You're a healthcare professional. And I think what you said is right. People have different ideas of success. Some are money-based. And yes. I was having this conversation with a very successful friend of mine yesterday, actually, who is very money-based 
goal orientated that's mm-hmm. absolutely that's fine. fine yeah but for me as well you know inner peace is really important we met on a oh, sound healing or a breath work <laughs> you know so you know that because for yeah me it's that balance I think definite Same. recognition with patients and being able to impact their lives in an ethical manner and help them in some way but I think respect is a big thing for me as well more so than money like I would never jeopardize or you know do anything that's threatening to my self-respect in a way for money you know so I resonate with that so much because I've talked about this previously before is you know a lot of people I think are doing things online just to be go viral Mm. and they're forgetting that they're there to provide value yeah and I see a lot of people changing who they are to either become like a fashion influencer or a makeup influencer and look if that's what you want to do that's totally fine but don't do it for the likes and the fame and the followers because one day you're going to wake up and you're going to have all those things and you're going to think, who am I? Exactly. And what was the point? Yeah, exactly. What, what, it means nothing. Yeah, exactly. And it's so important to remember that. So before we kind of go into that chapter, I want to talk around that a little bit more. I want to kind of go on to, okay, you bought the Chelsea practice. Yeah. Okay, then. So let me let me tell you a little bit as well, because I think one thing that just popped into my head is that I'm actually really grateful for the influencer era, which I think mm-hmm. has died down because I was approached at the time, again, when many dentists weren't by... Lydia Bright shout out to Lydia Bright who is a Towie she was one of the original Towie cast and she said well actually her agent that said oh can Lydia come and have her teeth and she'll document it and because it wasn't such a huge thing Instagram then it was still big right she went viral and then I got a lot of clients off the back of her and then the more and more followers I got I was then approached by Melissa's wardrobe and beauty in the blog and Mm -hmm. when I tell you they blew up my business they blew up my business so Melissa came in she was like okay I'll document my journey you know we hadn't even discussed doing like a complete collaboration I just said "I'll, I'll give you a bit of a discount she documented the whole journey and when I say the phone lines just went crazy for like three to six months and I was like oh my gosh I mean her hashtag is Mel made me do it Stormzy literally wrote a song about it and yeah his song was Mel made me do it and she was so influential to my business and Michelle was the same who's one of my best friends uh she's beauty in the blog and she had effectively documented her journey as well in the same manner and I think I was really grateful because back then I think the authenticity around influence was real you know was they were influencers they would really influence people's decisions so that was great and it was really difficult to buy the practice because I've been trying to buy it for two years and I completed on buying the practice (laughs) a week before national lockdown (gasps) yes (laughs) yes so you can imagine yes so my body now you're talking about the stress levels I was actually in denial for ages I don't know if you remember that first time when Boris was sort of there was all this talks like I kind of went into denial I was like it's not gonna happen it's not gonna happen yeah yeah And then what happened was, is that I think to myself, I almost go into this fight or flight mode where I become more resourceful. And I think I've probably seen that with my parents. I thought, okay, great. I can't go into work. I've got this massive loan to pay now. I have no income coming in. What am I going to do? Obviously furloughed all the staff, which was all all this stuff is so new to me because I'd never done it before. But I kept on my practice manager. And then what I decided to do was provide educational material to my audiences, did lots of Mm -hmm. Instagram lives. And also what I started doing was, is that I was doing free consultations over Zoom to discuss and having building rapport with potential clients. And a lot of clients were interested in dentistry at the time because- I think they were watching themselves on Zoom. They saw yeah. the way and they were like, oh my God, my teeth. I'm suddenly like really <laughs> conscious about my teeth. So when I did these consultations, I was like, right, you know, hopefully as the government have stipulated, we'll be opening by X amount of time. Would you like to pre-book and secure your appointments? So we were having those conversations with them and essentially built up a list for when we could open. Dentists thankfully could open after three months, I think, of okay. lockdown, but we had to provide essential services to patients, which again was so painful because I have patients call me up and be like, I'm in so much pain. I have abscesses, pains, infections, etc. And I was giving them advice on the phone, prescribing antibiotics, triaging and so forth. But I'm glad that I did that because then all these patients were able to come to me and thankfully I opened up to a fully booked practice again. But that was me forward thinking, you know, during lockdown. And pushing through. And pushing through, yeah. But also underneath all of that, the reason why you did it is because you want to help people. Yeah. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And it's building those connections with people. And when we went back to the practice, you know, there was lots of things for me to take on as a new business owner and a new practice owner. And I'm still learning on the job, by the way. You know Mm -hmm. how people say you've got to figure out, like you said, like, can you do a manual? 
you're still learning on the job. And I'm expanding. So we went from three surgeries. I've built two more. So we've gone to five surgeries now. And, you know, the vision keeps growing. Mm-hmm. But I do think there's always a danger of not enjoying the moment that you're in. And I get, I get told this all the time. They're like, why are you putting so much pressure on yourself? And I know you do the same as well. Yeah. Because I'm like, no, but I want to be here by this time. And I yep. think putting time frames on things is almost quite dangerous. The, the number one thing that I think is so beneficial from the, this era that I've kind of grown up in is my ability to learn from other people. And the number one thing I love about this podcast is how I can really make, not make the same mistakes as my guests. Yeah. So I was speaking to Jay Shetty yesterday. I haven't interviewed him yet. But I was, I was speaking, gonna say, you're you know, manifesting it. I was yeah, saying it no, right now. We've been friends for a while. I've known him before he was famous. Amazing. So I was speaking I to him yesterday. <laughs> so I, I was speaking to him yesterday and I was saying, you know, I just, he was like, you're doing really well, whatever. And I was like, yeah, one day. And he was like, what do you mean one day? And I was like, yeah, one day I'll get there. And he was like, you're already there. Yeah. And he was like, if you keep delaying that feeling of, you know, it will get better in the future or this will be better when, or I'll be happy when, you're not gonna enjoy the now. Yeah. And I've heard so many people speak about it. Stephen Bartlett actually said to me, you know, if you make 10 million in 10 years, Shivani, you've made 1 million now. Mm-hmm. So just remember that. And that's really all, I need that constant reminder still, but it always reminds me that we're always looking for that forward goal and thinking we'll be happy when, mm. be happy now. Exactly. I'll be happy when I have this house or this amount of money on this amount of followers. Yeah. Be happy now. Pretend you have it. Yeah. Because nothing in your life will really, really change once you have all of those things. A hundred percent. And I always say that money, for example, if we're looking at it as a goal, money will buy you freedom yeah. and choices, but mm-hmm. it does not buy you happiness. No. And the thing is, as you said, then you get the 10 million, then you want 20, and then you get the 20, and then you want 30. Always. And where does it end? You know, and I think being present is such an important thing. It's so cliche, but you it know, is. the older I get, I'm like, the cliche stuff makes sense. <laughs> it's all know? real. Yeah. yeah, no, you're right. Because even I was like, yeah but when I'm earning this amount then I'll be happy and then the other day I did get a really good deal and I was like yeah okay I don't feel that happy because nothing dramatically changes unless I had a hundred million tomorrow you know nothing's dramatically going to change and I think we we definitely think that and I used to value myself so much on okay yeah I I love my podcast and I'm doing really well but okay I haven't got many followers just before you came I said I haven't got a sponsor when I have a sponsor I'll say I haven't got a 10 million pound studio when I you know there's always going to be something more and that's okay but what I'm learning now to do is just accept that I'm gonna one day I'm gonna wake up and look back and think why didn't I enjoy it because I already now look back and think last year gosh if someone told me all the things that were gonna happen I would enjoy them so much more so this year one of the things that I'm doing to kind of limit my kind of worry on that is I've written down everything in past tense and this is kind of a manifesting technique that I've been using so I've written down every month what's gonna happen and I've written it as if it's 100% gonna happen so now I'm gonna enjoy it 100%. 100%. Do you know, right? what's, you know what's so interesting is that I found my journal mm-hmm. when I first started Chelsea Dental Clinic. I found my journal from so no, seven years ago and I wrote down all of the things, like you said, all of the things that were going to happen to me. So I said, mm-hmm. I'm really excited about living in my house in Notting Hill and also <laughs> having a multi-specialist practice with really cool equipment like lasers and doing <laughs> smile designs day in, day out. Everything's happened. But Everything you know happens. what? It took about six to seven years. And this is the thing. I think when people create a vision board, they expect everything to happen in a year. I mean, I created one last year and there were some things that I forgot I put on there. You know, one of the things I put McKinsey & Co. I mean, I was at my my job in Atos. I don't know why I put McKinsey & Co. I never want to work there. I'm not clever enough to work there. Don't say that. Don't say that. But McKinsey reached out for me to do a workshop there. Yeah, exactly. And And I was like... Wait, what? And I, I remember it's on, it's on the background of my phone. I remember yeah. thinking, why did I put McKinsey and Co on yeah. there? But it happened, yeah. right? I put, I'm not going to say one thing that is on there. It's happening this year. I'm very excited. But there was one of the things I put down with me speaking and an audience. And I did my goal setting workshop. And yeah. I didn't know that that was what I wanted to do. But I just one day sat down and I've done it this year as well and just put everything I dream of yeah. on one thing. And I keep it on the phone of my background. Yeah. It's not on my lock screen. Yeah. So no one else can see it. It's in like, you know where all your apps are. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm seeing it, but not really seeing it. But every time I get something, I'm like, 70% of my vision board of last year has come yeah, true. Yeah. I love that. Do you know what? I'm going to challenge you on one thing. Tell me. I think this is, a, this is an interesting conversation. So my partner, mm-hmm. he works in finance and he works around different types of entrepreneurs than we do because they're very much the sort of people that do extremely well, but no mm-hmm. one necessarily knows who they are, you yeah. know, because they work in that world. 
He describes himself, and he's very ambitious and does very well, but he describes himself as a realist. So he's the uh-huh. kind of person that looks at Bloomberg, looks at the facts, <laughs> look at, looks at the spreadsheets, the number and the data. He's data driven, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, that's almost his job. You know, he works in hedge fund. So my question is, is there something around being a realist uh-huh. or is it better to be a dreamer or mm-hmm. is it important to be both? Both. And I'll tell you the reason why. So, so if I told your dad that his daughter when he came to this country with 10 pounds, was gonna be living in Notting Hill, was gonna have a practice in Chelsea, and was gonna be a dentist to thousands of celebrities. Is that realistic or unrealistic? Because I spoke to Zizo, and if you haven't listened to my podcast with Zizo, you need to. It is the best, best podcast around manifestation I've ever spoken about. He told me that what is realistic to you is not realistic for me. Yeah. What's realistic to you is not realistic for me. Yeah. And when something is realistic, it means it's achievable. My dreams are achievable. So I can dream one day to have my own show, but I have to do those steps in between to get there. 100%. Those steps are realistic. And those small steps that are realistic will lead to my dream being realistic. Because what I define to be realistic is not what everyone else defines to be realistic. If you told someone 10 years ago, I'm going to quit my corporate job to have a podcast studio and talk for a living, they would all think I'm mad. Yeah. Yeah. People still now think I'm crazy to do that. My dad was like, how can you make a living out of this? What are you doing? But what's realistic to me is not realistic to someone else. And when he said that to me, I remember thinking that is so true because it's very important to not be delusional. You know, there's a significant difference between being delusional and saying, you know, I'm going to be a billionaire, I'm going to be a billionaire, I'm going to be a billionaire and not doing those actions every single day to work towards being that. But when you manifest something, if I say to myself, I'm going to have my own show on TV, I'm going to be the next Oprah, what am I going to do? All of my actions are going to be leading towards that. Yeah. And I start by doing a podcast. Then I start by applying to shows. Then I start by doing TV appearances. And then from the TV appearances, I pitch to shows. Yeah. But if I just don't do any of those things, I, of course I'm dreaming. And that isn't what we're talking about in terms of manifesting. Totally. And I think that the other thing is, and that's that exactly my viewpoint. And that was mm-hmm. the conversation that I had with him. And I said, what if I told you, you know, there was a, an influencer that said 10 years ago, they were going to make a multi-million pound business from mm-hmm. being an influencer. You'd think they're delusional, right? Especially because uh-huh. you work in a corporate job. And I think that that was the thing. And when I told people, when I said to the Invisalign people, <laughs> I want to be on the billboards. They were like, you were absolutely mad. We've never done that before. And I was like, wait and see. And I got there because mm-hmm. I wanted to be relatable to the consumer. And that was my, mm-hmm. and everything I did was to prove to Invisalign you could be relatable to the consumer. And they're like, okay, she's relatable. Let's put her on. Let's exactly. give her this opportunity. So I do, I do agree with that. But the one thing that I will say is that the goalposts change as well. Because sometimes you realize along the way that, for example, and I think this is what happens, that for me, burnout is no longer glamorized. And I'm glad the conversation conversations mm-hmm. opened up you know back in the day especially actually when I was growing up people would glamorize being so busy that you had no time to do anything busy 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 or being burnt out was a sign of success success exactly but now I think as well I'm like I want balance you know I really want to get to where I want to be and like you said I could have 10 practices or 20 practices, but ideally the quality of life that I'd have to be so bad, I don't think it's worth it because there are other things in my life that are just as important to me. So actually recognition, respect, the ability to help people and having one or two practices is a better goal for me. Mm -hmm. If that means sacrificing the financial element. And I love that because that's personalized to you. You're not just chasing what everyone else is doing and what everyone else wants. You're like, this is what's important to me and this is what I want to focus on. Yeah. I want to talk about parlor. Let's do it. Tell me. (laughs) So Parlour is a really interesting journey. And I think startup journeys have been the most difficult journeys for people, especially their first startups. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to give you the real raw truth about it all. We started it because my business partners and I were always being approached by corporate companies that wanted us to promote their toothpaste. And we were like, okay, you know, being denfluencers, as you call them, (laughs) dental influencers. And at one point we did a little bit of research and found out that a lot of toothpastes on the market were actually a little bit unethical, either in the packaging or the ingredients that were contained. So for example, pretty much all of them are sold in single use plastic. It takes 500 years for a single toothpaste tube to decompose, which means every single toothpaste tube 
on this planet exists somewhere. They're contributing so much to landfill, to the base of the ocean and causing such destruction essentially to our environment. Moreover, the toothpaste also have microbeads, a lot of them, which mm. means that we're ingesting them. I think recently they showed a study that there was lots of microplastics in our bloodstream, which is so dangerous. Breast milk as well, which we're giving to our children. And some of the ingredients are irritants. They've been shown to cause ulcers, canker sores, all that kind of thing. So we thought we really need to create something that will benefit you. I know that you're also someone that loves dirty, for example. I you're do. Saying. But we're making those health choices because, again, about discipline, it's also about respecting your body. Like, I respect my body not to put certain things into it. So why should it differ with toothpaste, you know? Mm -hmm. So we went, we did some research and we found that we could create a toothpaste tablet. Actually, toothpaste tablets exist all over the Scandinavian world. So for example, like Sweden, Norway, they use them quite a lot. You take the water out of the toothpaste and it's essentially just a dehydrated toothpaste and in a form of a tablet. You chew the tablet, you wet your toothbrush and your brush is normal. It's an interesting one because toothpaste tablets actually existed before toothpaste, but we're still getting people to break the habit of a lifetime because when people are used to doing something, Definitely. it's a really difficult thing to break. And I think that's been one of the most difficult things for us. So it's saying to people, okay, hey, we've been telling you to brush with paste, but now we're telling you to chew on a tablet. Yes. Now... In our early stages, the embryonic stages of the business, we got asked to be featured in Plastic Free July. So we were on ITV this morning. We had Phil and Holly try it. They almost like choked on it because they didn't know what to do. But, <laughs> but anyway, off the back of that, we had one of the researchers from Dragon's Den contact us. And they said, do you want to be on the show? And, you know, we were at the really early stages. And I was like, hell yes, let's go. It's an amazing opportunity. We knew that we had to be really good with the numbers. There are three of us in the business. But because they would only allow two of us on, we'd made the decision for me and Simon to go on. And Adash had coached us. He's kind of like the more finance guy in the, in the team. Coached us on the numbers and so forth. And it was one of the best experiences of my life. You know, you really prep yourself about your business in a way that you probably mm. wouldn't think about it before because the dragons can be really brutal. You've seen they're ruthless. They don't take any prisoners. And in the end, we got two offers, but they want to take 30% of the business. It was Tage and Deborah, which would have fitted perfectly, you know, with Tage having mm -hmm. vitabiotics and also Deborah being super eco. But we decided not to take it. And I think that put us in a much more powerful position, actually, because we were like, okay, thank you very much. But uh -huh. no. Yeah. And, you know, there's this really iconic moment where... Tuka was like, oh, I think you've dodged a bullet to Deborah. And she was like, no, 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 I haven't. She was like, you can't buy the credibility of those two, you know, yeah. you know, basically saying that we, you know, we really had something. So since then, we've had some amazing deals. So we're now in Waitrose, Sainsbury's, Boots, you know, some amazing retail opportunities. But every day is a struggle because with a startup, you know, it's so up and down. It it's is. almost like an ECG, you know, where you're not well because mm -hmm. you've got these highs, you've got these lows and it's so unpredictable. It's just so unpredictable. And I think people's behaviors as well, as we said, when you're really trying to break a habit of a lifetime, right. you can't control it. So it's been an amazing experience and it continues to be. But I think that for anyone that's considering a startup, you've got to recognize that, you know, we always see the tip of the iceberg again where people are so successful, but there's so many factors that contribute to the success of these businesses. Oh my God, 100%. And, you know, it's not easy to start a startup in isolation, but to do it alongside practicing and to manage the practice is really, really tough. So talk to me how you manage your time. So I made the decision to cut down my working weeks. So from last year, I cut it down from five to three days. Okay. And I was really nervous about it because I think probably the same as you, we're so used to, and perhaps it's our immigrant background of like, the more you work, the better you are. And when you're not working, you're either lazy or not being productive. Correct. And that's, it's quite a negative narrative. It I think is. It's, I don't think it's necessarily healthy. I think it's toxic. But that's also like, my parents used to get angry if I used to sleep in. Because they're like, get out, you know, the day started, you have to start doing stuff. Yeah. I'm, like, oh. I'm like that now. If I sleep, like the last week, I took a week off social media and I woke up at eight o'clock every day. And I was like, oh my God, yeah. I can't believe it. My mum my my and dad are the opposite to me. They're like, yeah. you need to sleep in a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. But when I was younger, they would always say like, the sun is up, you've got to get going. Yeah, my yeah. brother was the opposite. So he was labeled the lazy one. And then I was rewarded almost because I was labeled the yeah, energetic one yeah, and yeah. the one who got on yeah, with things. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's important because that's a conditioning thing. So it like is. when I, I'm going to like sort of sidetrack a little bit, but as well, I'm so interested now in learning about the psychology, about why I'm the way I am. And I saw something recently about good girl conditioning mm -hmm. and it was about the inability to say no. Yes. So 
what this psychologist, she's my favorite, the holistic psychologist. We should get her on your show. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> she she had written something about the fact that whenever she didn't feel like going to something, her mum would talk her into going into it, whether it was like a birthday party or a coffee or a drink. So she always had this guilt about saying no and putting her needs first. And because of that conditioning as a child, she found it really difficult as an adult. But then she found herself more and more trying to say no. It was almost like she had to coach herself into it. So I feel like that's almost the same thing. Like I actually had to talk myself into the fact that working three clinical days was okay because actually my productivity was better. Mm-hmm. The quality of care that I was giving to my patients was also better. And it's about working smart and not necessarily hard. So from that five day week now, I can spend a day on the admin side of things with the clinic, but also mm-hmm. self-care because I think yes. self-care is so important. So I go and yeah. get a massage, my nails, <laughs> etc. And then the other day is dedicated to parlor. So we've got basically each parlor member is working either one or two days a week on the business and we we've got a new md now which is absolutely amazing Amazing. so as the team is growing we're dedicating more and more time but again we're at that stage now where we're like do we take on investors or no we want to hold on to equity there's so many things moving parts to this that make it really difficult especially when you're working with other people But I think it's about understanding as well that I don't want to be that person living on my sofa on baked beans to make the startup just mine. Does that make sense? You know, I'm happy to share that small piece of the pie, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, we're at a stage where the business has grown so well and the reputation of the business, I want to take it to the next level. And you will. And and I think the thing about you, Rona, is you just have this incredible determination and resilience but you're so humble about it I've never ever ever heard you say oh I do this I do that I think even when I met you you were like I'm a dentist you weren't like yes I own my own practice and I do this this and this and I think that's rare and you see so many people especially now who've achieved so much and will tell you within the first 30 seconds and I've noticed that and to those people I just say that's amazing well done because they need that validation yeah and I think the number one thing when you're doing something is never seek that validation from other people because if you're always going to be seeking validation from other people you're never ever going to be happy within yourself 100% and I think that's you know as you say you're very spiritual and, and it really comes across because you're so kind-hearted and I'm, I'm, I wish we could talk for another hour no, there is so much you. more I wanted to speak to you about but I know you're going to take it to the next level with Parla oh, really and I'm so nice. excited to Thank watch you grow you. that really means so much and also one of the biggest compliments that you've said to me is that you recognize the way in which that I have taken on things. So it's actually taken, it's it's inner work for me because mm-hmm. I am somebody that does seek validation, by the way. I think mm-hmm. anyone that Everyone has a social so. media platform mm-hmm. in the way that we do, we do want that validation. 100%. But there's now ways that I react to comments or conversations. And like you said, when you see people showing off, for example, you're like, okay, they're doing that from a place from of there, security. Leave them. And that's what I've learned to do is, you know, you're right, we all do because we get it so easily. Yeah. If we upload a video or a photo, someone's going to say something, right? Yeah. Because you have a large following, so people are going to say something. But it's really important to always just remember that the number one thing that people love about people is being humble. It's just the number one thing people love. If you're seeing people who are showing off or trying to put you down, now I always just step aside and I just say, that is your agenda, but mine is pure. You do you. You do you. I just want to tell you really quickly, someone told me on this podcast as well that we've always been told about a good girl and a bad girl. Mm. But let's start defining the in-between girl. Yeah, yeah. And we can be an in-between girl. You know, you can set your boundaries and say no and be really powerful and be really strong and be really kind and be really loving. Yeah. We do not have to put ourselves into all of these boxes. 100%. No, thank you for coming on. I appreciate it so much. Thank you so much for having me. I've absolutely loved it, Shivani. And you're a force to be reckoned with. (laughs) I'm going to be one of the OGs on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. Everyone, and thank you so much for listening and watching this podcast. Wherever you're listening or watching, if you could please press the follow, like, and subscribe button, it would really mean the world to me.